Good morning. Uh, my name is Joe Mueller, as the, as the screen said, and I'm, I'm one of the now five pastors, right? There are five of us um, who serve here at, at Remedy. Um, and it's my great honor uh, and joy to get to, to speak to us fr- from God's Word. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be in Exodus uh, 33 through 34, uh, and we're going to be picking off where we ended last week. So it was supposed to be one sermon, and it, it turned into two, um, and so we're going to finish uh, the second part of it today. We're in, specifically, we'll be in Exodus 33, uh, starting in, in verse 12. But uh, we'll, we'll spend some, a special amount of time uh, and emphasis on uh, Exodus 34, 5 through 10, where our Lord um, declares his glory to Moses, the glory of his name. Um, last week, uh, we sketched an outline of the drama of Exodus. Uh, and I tried to show how the deep yearnings and desires of the enslaved Hebrews were matched First, by a human human savior who failed. Moses failed as he tried to save Israel in in Exodus chapter 2. But then Yahweh, uh, by himself, as as he he works to satisfy the longings of his people. From Exodus 3, 7 through 12, this is the calling of Moses at the burning bush on Mount Sinai. We outline three main promises that, that control the drama of Exodus. The first is... Uh, God promises to deliver his people from oppression. The second promise that he gives Moses is that he will, he will, deliver, uh, he will deliver the land uh, of promise to Israel. And that the third promise that he gives to Moses here is the delight of the presence of God with Israel. Uh, God then makes good on his promise, uh, number one, by trouncing the Egyptian Uh, people and its gods with ten plagues. Uh, The Hebrews plunder the Egyptians without lifting a finger in battle. The army of Egypt is defeated and drowned in the waters of judgment of the Red Sea, and the people of God are brought by way of the wilderness again to Mount Horeb, also called Mount Sinai, to worship Yahweh, as God foretold in Exodus chapter 3. Then, you know, the the people then rebel. Exodus 32 happens. And even as Israel is receiving God's law, even as they are receiving instructions to build the tabernacle, which is where God's presence will dwell among the people, they break covenant with Yahweh. The promises now are in jeopardy as the holiness of the presence of God comes into contact with the sinfulness of his people. And last week we tried to sit in in that tension produced by Exodus 33, 1 through 4, where Israel seems like they are getting everything they desired uh, at the beginning of Exodus. They, they're getting deliverance from Egypt because it's already been won by the Lord. And they will even still receive a land of plenty uh, that was promised to Abraham. But now, because of Exodus 32, God says he will not go with them any longer. And we, we asked ourselves this question, right? How would we respond if God gave us everything we wanted, all of our dreams, desires, yearnings, and longings, they were ours, but God was going to withhold his presence from going with us. And we saw from the text that it is pure disaster, both for us personally, but also for us corporately as we 
we spend this time dreaming together about what God would want uh, us to do and how we fulfill his mission and how we have this vision for who we want to become and how, how we dream together as a body. It would be disaster if God would give us all of our dreams and wishes but not give us his presence. We also then ended uh, by looking at how to avoid this disaster. Um, we, how do we keep the main thing the main thing? And the main thing principally and, and primarily is God and God's glory. How do we keep this main thing the main thing in our hearts even as we dream and work hard toward our dreams? And from the life and practice of Moses and, and from his first uh, interaction and conversation with God in, in, in Exodus 33, 12 through 13, we learned we can avoid the disaster of loving God's gifts more than loving God himself by four simple practices. The first is that we need to, we need to meet with God regularly in prayer. That then uh, we need to see God's ways. We need to study who he is in the scriptures. Um, we need to know his person because his ways describe the person of God. And then we need to work to please him out of gratitude as his servant. This morning, we're going to ask a new question. Uh, almost a more important question than the one we asked last week. And the question is this. Who is God? Who is God. And so that, let's turn to our text now. And if you would uh, please stand with me if you are able to honor the reading of God's word. It will be uh, Exodus 33, starting in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order, that, uh, in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand uh, away, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall, shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first ta tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself to me uh, there on top of the mountain. No one shall come with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. 
So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning, and he went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go uh, in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as has not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you who, uh, whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. And let's, let's pray. Lord, uh, we pray that as we, as, we, as we hear your name, Lord, that our hearts would be in awe of who you are. That um, we, like, like you, and like Moses, and like Jesus, we would yearn yearn for the proclamation of your name abroad, that we would want your name to, to be received with the honor it deserves in the whole world, but Lord, especially in our own hearts. We want to praise you as you are due. We want to glorify your name as you deserve. We want to sing praises to you. So Lord, and uh, be active in our hearts today as we hear your name. Help us to, to worship you truly in spirit and in truth, and help us to be yours. Take us as your inheritance, Lord, we pray. Amen. Have you ever thought what is in a name? Right, what's in a name? Uh, Proverbs 22.1 teaches us that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Uh, I grew up the youngest uh, of three brothers. I'm, I'm four years younger than my oldest brother and three years younger than my next oldest brother. Um, and I got to experience firsthand the effects of having a good name. Um, and by good name, I mean my last name. Joe is not that great of a name. It's pretty common. Uh, but Mueller, uh, the name that I got from my father, uh, marked me out. Right? It marked me out. I was a Mueller. Um, it declared to others who I was identified with. Uh, it signaled to the world my association with the reputation that my parents had and that my brothers created. Now, now there, some backstory. I grew up in the same house that my dad currently lives in. Right? So I, I had the same schools that my brothers did. I had the same coaches. I, I knew the same families. I we were a family that stayed in place. And so having a good name meant that teachers would be kind to me in classes and expect good things from my work. 
that had high standards for me because of what my, my brothers accomplished. It meant coaches would believe I had character and worked hard and would have some level of athletic ability uh, because my brothers proved that Mueller's had that. Uh, my life was literally easier because of the quality of people I was associated with. My father, my mother, and my brothers. And, and a biblical way of, of speaking of this easy life that I had is, is this word favor uh, that, that we saw in Proverbs and we heard in our text. I found favor in the eyes of teachers and coaches and leaders and mentors because of the reputation associated with my name. And I shared a good reputation because of it. And the reputation associated with Mueller was good because my brothers and parents were good in a, in a human way of, of talking about goodness. And our text today is very much about a name. It's very much about favor, and it's very much about reputation. And in it, we'll see how the name and favor and reputation of our Lord can be summed up in a single phrase, the glory of God. Now, I want us to, to see something in our text uh, as, we, as we get to our, uh, the second point of the two-point sermon uh, and two-part sermon is the, the next point is the name of Yahweh, right? The name of Yahweh. There's this transition. Last week we were talking about presence, and now we're going to be talking about glory. So how, how, do, how do we get there? Our text this morning, there, there are three core ideas uh, through, through these verses that will lead us to glory. They are uh, the knowledge of a name, they are favor, and they are presence. So knowledge of a name, favor, and presence. And all three of these ideas end up pointing to glory. But probably the most important idea we need to track and the main idea today is the name, right? The name of Yahweh. So look at verse 12 with me. And, and, and I'll, I have these color-coded in my my notes here, and I'm going to try to verbally color code them in your mind, um, which is difficult. So if you are a circler of your Bible, if you write in your Bible, um, circle words and draw lines connecting them, because uh, it's, it's important, I think, to see this, this connection. Or you may be smarter than me, and you won't need to color code things, and you'll just see it. But uh, verse 12, right? Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. This is presence. This is this idea of, of presence in the text. That it continues, yet you have said, I know you by name, right? This is, this is a name idea. And you have also found favor in my sight. This is favor, right? So we've had presence, name, and favor. Uh, verse 13 continues. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, favor again, Please show me now your ways that I may know you, right? Knowledge of a name, in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. So this is Moses' first, um, first ask of the Lord, right? His first petition before him. And then God answers with his presence. Verse 14, and he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. This first exchange, right? The one we looked at last week, where we got our three core ideas, or our, our you know, our uh, how do we how do we uh, not miss the main thing? Um, this is what we looked at. There, the three core ideas are present, right? You got presence, you got knowledge of a name, 
and you got favor. Moses wants God to go with Israel, and this is dependent on God's intimate knowledge of Moses, right? God knows Moses by name, and, and it's, it's also contingent on the favor or the, the grace of God resting on Moses. The second exchange begins in, in verse 15, and it contains the same themes. Verse 15, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, right, presence, do not bring up this people from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, right, presence, so that we are distinct, we are holy, we are set apart, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Again, we have presence, favor, and a name. And, and this thematic repetition, repetition with the first exchange, um, right? It is, it is emphasizing that Yahweh will, in fact, go with Israel. God has as Hebrews 6 says, sworn by himself, and he's done it twice now um, in, in Exodus 33, 12 through 17. So now let's look at exchange number three. And now we get this explicit uh, concept of glory coming in where Moses says in verse 18, please show me your glory. The Lord responds, and he said, I will make all my goodness. This is another word. Uh, that, that often gets associated with the glory of God. I will make my goodness pass before you. Presence, right? Presence. I will be there before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. This, great, this word gracious, I will be gracious, is simply the verbal form of, of the word favor that we saw in verses 12, 13, 16, and 17. So Moses is asking, right? He's asking for the glory, and God answers him with the, our four thematic elements that we've been tracking in, in Exodus 33, 15 through 18. He, he answers him with, with glory, with goodness. He answers him with, with presence. He will pass before him. He answers with his name, the Lord, and he answers with favor, with graciousness, God's free gift of, of graciousness to whom he will give it to. The evidence in our passage is that the glory of God is connected to the presence, the name, and the grace of God. His glory is his name. So what happens next? Moses is given instructions, and Moses follows the instructions, and then he encounters the Lord. Yeah, uh, Exodus thirty-three twenty continues. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, but uh, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that are on the first tablets which you broke. 
Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So, so Moses then obeys the instruction of the Lord in verse 4, right? He cuts two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Um, here in, in this, in this uh, the setting up of the presence of God appearing, we have echoes to Genesis chapter 15. Uh, and that's, that's when God made this covenant with, with Abraham. And what are these echoes? It, these are really big strokes because there wasn't time to dig into the, the nitty-gritty details. But uh, in Genesis 15, God, God graciously grants offspring to Abram and the possession of the promised land. That's what we get in Genesis chapter 15. To confirm the covenant, some animals are cut in two and they're set on opposite sides of each other. Um, and the presence of God then is like a flaming torch that passes between them. God has, this is literally what Hebrews 6 is saying, he has sworn by himself. Once he has sworn by making the promise to, to Abraham, and the second time by passing between the pieces, saying that what has been done to these animals, right, they're, they're cutting into their death, their violent destruction, uh, these, these deaths will be done to God if God fails to keep covenant with Abram, right? He, he promises twice to Abraham, uh, Abram, who became Abraham, uh, that he is going to, to bless him. So those, that is the event in, uh, in Genesis 15. But similarly, in this event today that we're looking at in Exodus 34, God has made a gracious grant to Moses to go with the people and to give them land. And he instructs Moses to cut stones into two, not animals. And then he passes by Moses as he hides him in the shadow of his wing. Both have a human representative, right? Abram for all of Israel and Moses for all of Israel cut things in two and the presence of God appearing before both of them. These are, are the simplest of similarities. But as I encourage you all, right, go read Genesis 15, read Exodus 33 and 34, and then read Hebrews, the whole, cha the whole book if you want, but especially uh, chapters 3 through 10. These are the, so these are the simplest similarities that, I, that I've brought out, but there are, there are so many more. Um, and and what, what do we learn? Why did I bring up these echoes, right? Uh, the reason that I did um, is that we need to learn from this that the glory encounter Moses has with Yahweh on Mount Sinai is something he experienced as God's representative for God's covenant people. The physical manifestation of the glory of God was a way for Yahweh to ratify, to confirm the promises he was making with Moses and to the people of God. This type of encounter with God is very rare, right? It's not often that, that the glory cloud of our, our Lord appears to, to ratify his promises to his people. But it, do, it does happen, and it has happened. And even though the presence of the glory of God, it left its mark indelibly on Moses, right? His face shone because of this encounter with the glory cloud. He had to have a veil to cover his face, 
The most important part of the glory revealed to Moses here comes in the name God pronounces to Moses. His name. While we might want to see the back of God, and and one day we all shall, right? We all shall see the glory of God with unveiled faces. We can all hear his name today. We can all hear his name today. And our face might not glow from the physical exposure to the Lord of light, but the tongue of fire who comes to dwell with men will take up residence in our bodies if we, like Moses, fall down and worship at this name. So who is God and what is his name? The name of Yahweh is our God. Verse 5 of, of 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So there are, there are um, five names I think we're, we're going to hit today. Five Five aspects of the name of Yahweh. So A, B, C, D, E, six. Sorry, six. We go to F. Um, the, the first is this. The Lord, the Lord. Yahweh, I am who I am. The Lord is his name. From, from this declaration of God's name to us, this is what we learn. God is completely independent of this world. He is self-existing, whereas old-timey theologians and current theologians uh, say he possesses aseity, right? He, he is self-existing. He is God. Before creation, before all the matter that makes up our universe came into existence, before heaven was created, and before the earth, before the stars began to burn, before gravity, before water, before land, before animals, before plants and humans, before all of it was God. God exists in himself and by himself, needing nothing other than himself to exist. God is, after all, God. But we also learn from this part of his name that he reveals himself to his creation. God is, God is independent of all creation, but he reveals himself into his creation. Yahweh is his personal covenantal name by which he reveals himself to his people. In Exodus 3, in the calling of Moses, in verses 13 and 14, we, we learn this. Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
the transcendent, self-existing God who needs nothing from us has condescended to make himself known to us. This is who God is. He is Yahweh. And so after declaring his personal name, his personal covenantal name to Moses twice, right? He testifies to it twice. We learn this. He chooses to reveal this about himself. He is merciful and he is gracious. Merciful and gracious. That's our next aspect, characteristic of God that he reveals. Eleven times in the Old Testament, these two words appear together, and each of them is only used 13 times in total. And this is according to Strong's Concordance, which is a, a useful resource. Um, so, so this idea of merciful and gracious are, are inextricably linked from each other. God is, is merciful, right? He takes pity on us in our poor estate, and God is gracious. He acts on our behalf. A good word picture of this comes to us from Exodus chapter 22. Uh, so Exodus 22, starting in verse 25. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor. Right? So you're, already you're thinking about their, their lowly estate. You shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not ex exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge. Right? So this person is so poor that they have to give you the clothes off their back, right, to, to receive from you what, what you have. They have nothing else to give other than the clothes that are on their body. So verse 26, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, this is the Lord speaking. I will hear, for I am compassionate. The word that the ESV translates here as compassionate is the word translated as gracious in Exodus 34, 6. And notice how Exodus twenty two twenty seven grounds the hearing of God, right? His condescension from his complete independence from us. It grounds that. In his graciousness, God sees us in our poor estate. We are, uh, we are wretched, and, and he is merciful. And then he chooses to act on our behalf because he is gracious. The God who created all that is and sits enthroned above all creation, he meets us in our misery. He brings his glory to our gutters. He sends his salvation to our sewers and he makes his covenant with us as we sit in our crud. The transcendent Yahweh is our imminent Savior. This is who God is, merciful and gracious. Uh, the, the next is that he is patient. He is slow to anger. God continues. He is slow to anger. He, he is patient. Uh, Peter 2, 3 9 and 10 reminds us of this. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, 
and the earth and the works that are done and that will be exposed. The patience of God, his long suffering, his, his long of nosedness, right? So he doesn't, he doesn't burn with anger, has an aim, right? And, and it, it melds beautifully with these other characteristics that, that God is revealing about himself, his, his mercifulness, his graciousness, his lordliness. Because the aim is this. His aim is that all would cry out to the merciful and gracious God, to be saved by him. God wills that none would perish. And that is who God is. He is, he is patient with us. We, I, I am so often impatient, right? I so often want what I want when I want it. I'm not willing to sit with people in their, in their pain or their, their sadness or their suffering. I'm not willing to sit with my children in their rebellion, right? And, and I flare up in anger um, and, I, and I act unjustly. But God is a much better father, right? God is, God is so good. He is so patient with us in our, in our sins and in our difficulties. He is so kind to us and his kindness has an aim, that we would cry out to him to be saved. This is who God is. He is patient. The, the next thing here, um, I think we're on D. God, um, God also abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. This means that God, uh, that the love of God never ceases. It's abounding. And all of his promises will always be fulfilled because of his faithfulness. The triune God that exists within himself has an infinite storehouse of love and fidelity. And, right, the fact that he directs these resources to people like you and me is good news beyond expression. Do you need love? Do you need faithfulness in your life? God has an infinite store for you. Infinite. Church, God has an unending stream of steadfast love and faithfulness for all who call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. In Christ, you will never again lack the love of God. And you will always benefit from his faithfulness toward you. Because Jesus is your good shepherd, no one can snatch you from his hand. And nothing can separate you from his love. This is who God is, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is also forgiving, verse 7 continues. He's forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That, that mankind is sinful it is super clear to me. Um, from the immediate context of our passage where, where God's people have broken God's law just as God is officially giving it to his people. But the golden calf is just the outward symptom, uh, uh, an outward symbol of the corruption that lies within each of our own hearts. Genesis 6-5 characterizes our sinfulness this way. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Each of us has this sin problem. 
We, as, as the Orthodox Catechism says, in, in a summary of the teaching of Scripture, it says that all of us have a natural tendency to hate God and our neighbor. So each of us needs God to be forgiving. Each of us needs to experience a God who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. Each of us needs the forgiveness of God. And so this is great news. This is who God is. He is forgiving. And finally, the last element of God's glory, of his name that we're looking at today, is that God is perfectly just. Verse 7 continues, But who will by no means clear the guilty? Remember 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Hebrews 10.31 says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the God who is who he is. We learn from this that God's justice is an expression of his holiness and purity. The holy and pure creator of everything will not let the evil of creation continue forever. The evil that has corrupted creation continue forever. God has appointed a time when judgment will fall and the ungodly will be destroyed. That's what 2 Peter, 2, uh, 2 Peter 3, 7 says. So God is just. God is just. So I, I've, I've laid out for us the name that, that, that Yahweh reveals to Moses in our text. The name, who God reveals himself to be, who God says that he is. What is his reputation? What is his name? What is the only proper response to hearing this revelation of God's character? What is the only proper response to to knowing the reputation of our creator, of hearing his name? How should we respond at this glimpse of his glory? I think, again, Moses is our example here in in, in, uh, chapter 34, verse 8. And Moses quickly bowed down, uh, bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And And he said... If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Moses does two things here that I, I would commend to all of us. Whether we believe in Jesus today or we've never put our faith in him. Two things that all of us should do, everyone in this room. Moses bows his head and worships, that's one. The the second thing that he does is he calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved. We should do these two things every time we hear the good news about God's glory. Every time we experience his mercy personally and his graciousness personally, Every time we benefit from his patience and long-suffering with us, 
Every time we receive his love and faithfulness, both, both personally in the gifts that he gives us directly, but also in the, the gifts that we experience with each other. Every time we receive from him forgiveness for the sins that we confess and lay before him. And every time we are reminded of his justice, that he will judge the living and the dead. That he will come in glory and wickedness will be no more. Every time we hear these things or experience these truths or receive from him his goodness, we one, we bow down and we worship our king. He is Lord and he is worthy of our praise. And the second is that we call upon his name for more. We call upon his name for more. We beg him to be with us, right? We say with, with Moses, right? Take us for your inheritance. I belong to you. Take me. Walk in the midst of us. Pardon my iniquity and my sin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for revealing your name. Without this, this revelation and, and, and all the others that you give to us in Scripture, there would be no way that we could know how good you are, how gracious you are, how, how condescending you are. We would only know the fear of you. We would only know the terror that a creator is, is around and and, and we, we, we violate your commands. We would only have that testimony about you from your creation. But God, you have been good to us. And you have spoken to us your name. You have made known to us your character and, and your person. And, and you have revealed to us most fully your glory, your name in Jesus so, Lord, open up our eyes more and more to Jesus. Help us to, to know his name, to know his ways, to know who he is and how he acts so that we may fully know you. Transform us into the image of Jesus, who was perfect man and perfect God. Help us to, to, to be full of your spirit, Lord. Uh, work in us so that we may work at our salvation with fear and trembling. And Lord, help us to every day, all the time, call upon your name to be saved. We pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.